Hello and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Jack Anstein. And I'm Casey Murray. On today's episode, we'll look deeper into neobanks, an expanding area of the financial technology sector, and what they're doing to change the banking industry. And later, we'll hear from immigrant entrepreneurs who have started businesses in the food sector, bringing a taste of their home to Missouri. Plus, we'll have the week's headlines, digits, and other startup news you need to know. So what are we waiting for? Let's speak startup. So Casey, as we both know, this is our last episode together. I know. I'm so sad to be leaving Speaking Startup after this past year we've had. What are you going to be doing after graduation? Well, eventually I'll be moving to Kansas City, but in my downtime, I'm just going to be hanging out and being lazy at my home in Dallas. What about you? That sounds great. I'm going to be going to the Kansas City area as well, spending time with family, and continuing to do some reporting. Well, I can't wait to read what you come up with in the future, but for now, let's get to the headlines. St. Louis-based plant tech firm Benson Hill is going public through a merger with an Illinois-based special purpose acquisition company. The deal values Benson Hill at $2 billion. Benson Hill uses artificial intelligence, data, and breeding techniques in an effort to develop improved crops. Now, Benson Hill is the third startup funded by the Missouri Technology Corporation to achieve unicorn status, which means a startup valued over $1 billion in the past six months. The University of Missouri-St. Louis, or UMSL, has hired a new leader for its Geospatial Technology Center at the T-Rex Incubator in St. Louis. Will Werner will step into the role of UMSL's National Security and Community Policy Collaborative. Werner was most recently a planner with the St. Louis Metropolitan Police. UMSL's National Security and Community Policy Collaborative aims to connect the university with St. Louis's geospatial industry. In particular, Werner will focus on collaborations with geospatial organizations such as the National Geospatial Intelligence Industry. Columbia-based tech startup Helium won the Columbia Chamber of Commerce Small Business of the Year Award for 2021. Helium uses artificial reality and virtual reality technology to treat stress. The other finalists for the Small Business of the Year Award were Dogmaster Distillers, SOA Architecture, Voluntary Action Center, and us, Missouri Business Alert. Helium sales are up more than 400% since pre-pandemic numbers. St. Louis University, or SLU, has received a $1 million donation to support its entrepreneurship program and fundraising campaign. The donation comes from Donald Russ, former vice chairman of Enterprise Holdings, and his wife, Nancy Ross. The gift creates a fund to provide money for programs and initiatives promoting SLU's Chavitz Center for Entrepreneurship. Jack, do you keep your money in a bank? I do. Why? Is there another place to keep your money? Well, yes and no. Neobanks are a type of financial technology, or fintech, that are trying to change banking. Neobanks? How do they work? They work electronically, usually over an app, and provide services that traditional banks normally provide. Of course, if they accept deposits, it means they're backed by an accredited bank. A popular example would be Chime, a San Francisco-based neobank. Oh, okay. Well, if they work in partnership with accredited banks, how are they changing the industry? 
Mostly, they're trying to help populations who have typically been underbanked access services they might be missing out on. I spoke with Tim Preer, who started one of the only Missouri-based neobanks, and some experts to find out more. Neobanks are a type of financial technology, or fintech, that is making banking faster, cheaper, and easier. They're an idea that has grown significantly, especially alongside racial protests that highlight financial inequities, which have partly been exacerbated by lack of access to banking. Missouri has been home to a few neobanks. Tim Preer started one, called Wicket, in the Kansas City area. I saw it as, as an opportunity to expand um, or offer services to a larger group of, of the population. Operating a traditional brick-and-mortar bank, uh, there's considerable overhead with that. And with that, they have to uh, limit their customer base or, the, or their ideal customer. Preer saw neobanks as a way to reach communities who couldn't normally access traditional banking services. Banks often have fees associated with opening an account and have minimum balance requirements. This can remove banking as an option for some, but neobanks don't have these types of costs, Preer says. So I wanted to be able to offer them a, an inexpensive uh, or a cost-efficient way for, for them to be accessing the, the, the same services that the bank community were utilizing. Anyone can download Wicket's app and set up an account. Preer says it only takes minutes to get started and begin transacting. It's free and doesn't have the balance requirements or fees of traditional banks. Terry Bradford is a payment specialist at the Federal Reserve Bank in Kansas City, and she's been watching neobanks for a while. She wanted to make it clear that she was speaking about her own personal view of the industry and not the opinion of the Federal Reserve, but said neobanks are actually not new. And yes, they have to be affiliated with an accredited bank. They're essentially fintechs that rely on relationships with chartered financial institutions uh, to facilitate their provision of financial services. So you think about it, neobanks aren't necessarily new. They've been around for a while. But she says just because neobanks aren't new and work alongside traditional institutions, that doesn't mean they can't provide valuable services. The lower barriers to partake in a neobank really can help underbanked communities, and interest in these kinds of companies is growing. More than 30 million accounts have been opened with neobanks. You know, that's relative, but 30 million is a fairly significant number. So they are gaining some traction. There seems to be a new neobank almost every week, if not more frequently. And the trends that I'm seeing are the targeting of populations. Because the field for neobanks is getting more and more crowded, they're beginning to have to differentiate themselves. Many focus on underbanked communities, such as low-income people, students, or millennials. Many are also focusing on communities of color, like Wicket is now. Wicket sold to PayBaby earlier this year, and PayBaby markets itself to communities of color. Preer saw this mission as not only worthy, but a necessary business move. The industry was also changing, and, and I saw that even more focus could, could create much more traction and, and growth opportunities. The specialization and differentiation was necessary because Preer also noticed that competition was getting tougher, like Bradford pointed out. When we launched uh, last year, the, the market had changed considerably with the, the, the number of entrants. It was already a competitive uh, landscape, but it, it had become even more competitive. And larger players are getting involved in the neobank concept, 
which can squeeze out smaller startups like Wicket. There are huge technology companies that have been nibbling away um, at the financial industry. So, for example, Amazon. Amazon's a big one. You know, Apple came out with their with their credit card. Freer sees these changes as both good and bad. So, first of all, it's providing that market validation that there is a need there for, the, for these types of products. But the downside to that is unless you have a, a differentiating product or a differentiating market segment that you're, that you're focusing on and, and build that brand awareness and brand loyalty with and have the capital, it's going to be extremely difficult to compete. Bradford thinks what neobanks are doing could be a net positive for the communities they specialize in. To the extent that there are services that educate um, that expand access, and then, you know, just by nature of, of their success, broaden the options for, for others and the competition for their, for their patronage. I think that's a good thing. Bradford points out that neobanks could not only help provide communities with needed services, but force larger institutions to reevaluate their own services and customer bases. Right now, she said banks are responding to neobanks in one of four ways. They want to work with them, they want to start one of their own, they see them as competitors for similar markets, or they're waiting to see where the industry will go before deciding. One of the still undecided aspects of new banks is how they make money. There are many fintechs or startups that begin with altruistic ideas of helping the underserved, um, but their services either you know don't gain traction or they can't figure out how to effectively monetize them. Uh, which creates some difficulty. So whether they're making money or not is a question mark, but probably through transaction fees and perhaps other service offerings would be the way that their revenues would be garnered. That's how Wicket makes money, through debit card interchange fees. Freer says that even though the industry is changing, the market need is there. So he's focused on pushing PayBaby to success. Uh, but uh, they have a, a crowdfunding campaign uh, right right now to raise raise two million dollars to continue to, to fund that growth and uh, yep yeah, I'm very very excited about about that future and and the opportunities Our next story is from the latest installment of our Outstate Project on entrepreneurs in small towns across Missouri. Where'd the Outstate Project take us this time? Kirksville, in the northeast corner of the state. And what'd we find there? Plenty, but this next story focuses on immigrant entrepreneurs who have started their own businesses in the food sector. Immigrants made up nearly 22% of U.S. food sector workers in 2018, according to the New American Economy. With limited international travel this past year due to the pandemic, Having foods from different cultures available in Missouri has taken on a new level of importance for many. I can imagine. We all love the foods that remind us of home. So having those foods available during this time for people who can't travel home is definitely impactful. Right. And we've also seen local immigrant communities here in Missouri support one another through sharing resources and more. We spoke with immigrant entrepreneurs in the food industry to learn more about their experiences here in Missouri. There were around 3.8 million immigrants in the U.S. food sector as of 2018, making up nearly 22% of the workers in the industry, according to the New American Economy, 
a nonprofit immigration research and advocacy group. In Kirksville, a city of about 17,500 residents, including nearly 1,000 immigrants, the international community includes entrepreneurs who have started businesses in the food sector, trying to offer a taste of home to the Northeast Missouri community. Max Mungyeko is one of them. He's originally from the Democratic Republic of Congo and lived in Illinois when he first moved to the United States. Mungyeko came to Kirksville for its job opportunities when he worked at University of Missouri Greenlee Research Center, a facility that researches and tests new crop production techniques. He came up with the idea of starting a business. I decided to open a business and I go to, to meet a, a SBCD a board, which is in Kirksville, and we start planning. We start working on my business until it starts in 2018. The company specializes in the production, processing, and marketing of amaranth, a leafy crop similar to spinach that's grown widely in Africa. Mangyeko conducted multiple experiments to test out his crops. This, this experimentation was first to, to see how to plant amaranth in the, in the context of uh, Missouri. And uh, secondly, it was to to fix how to process um, amaranth. When its produce is processed, he sends it first to the African stores in Kirksville. In addition to African people, Mangyeka was trying to expand his clientele base. His ideas for reaching new customers include cooking classes. So we need to have like uh, some workshop of cooking, of recipes, so people can know how to cook and taste amaranth. This is the sound of Lisa Eustacea making apem cake, a traditional Indonesian cake made from fermenting cassava and flour. As an immigrant to the U.S. from Indonesia, she moved to Kirksville because her husband got a job in A.T. Still University. She owns a small business called Rendang Wuniita, making and selling food from Indonesia. Eustacea packages and ships her food to different states in the U.S., including California and New York. I have a lot of I mean, Indonesian friends also uh, in other states. So they want to uh, buy from me. That's why I do shipping to all over states in United States. Traditional Indonesian food has taken on special meaning over the last year as international travel has been limited. Because of the COVID pandemic, they can go uh, back to our country. So they miss uh, Indonesian food. So that's why they um, order from me. Eustacea's main clients are Indonesian people. Like Mangyeko, she always seeks ways to expand her customer base. Eustacea offers food with different levels of spiciness so that Americans unaccustomed to Indonesian spices can try the food. I have three, uh, three tests, uh, which is original without spicy, spiciness and also spicy and, and extra spicy. Beyond tailoring products to the tastes of local consumers, Immigrant entrepreneurs face other challenges. Mangyeko encountered legal questions while working to start his businesses. The first difficulties was, uh, I, I don't know the rules. I don't know the procedure. Anastasia Tiedman, small business counselor at the Small Business Development Center in Kirksville, says language can be one of the barriers for immigrant entrepreneurs. Many of the immigrants in Kirksville are from the Democratic Republic of Congo and speak French. 
Some of them speak English, but not as well as others. There's, uh, you know, they have accent, things like that. So sometimes it's difficult for them to understand us because we talk so fast or, or for us to understand them. But the community provides help for people struggling with language. The school district in Kirksville has a program specifically in French for English language learners. At the job center, I believe that they have another, they have some translators on call. So we do have some, some people in the community who are translators and have the flexibility in their schedule that they can, you know, schedule an appointment during the day and help out some of the other, you know, businesses with, um, with translating if needed. According to Tiedman, entrepreneurs from abroad also take advantage of resources in their own immigrant communities. Our immigrant community kind of sticks together. Um, so they have a lot of their own resources that they share with each other. Sharing resources with one another, immigrant entrepreneurs are bringing familiar foods to a new community in Kirksville. digits of the week, the numbers that matter most in Missouri entrepreneurship. My digit this week is $100,000. Okay, why? The National Geospatial Agency Accelerator, powered by Capital Innovators, is now accepting applications for its second cohort. The St. Louis-based accelerator, managed in partnership with the Missouri Technology Corporation, will provide eight early-stage startups with $100,000 in non-dilutive funding, mentoring, and coaching. The program is looking for applicants in four areas data management, advanced analytics and modeling, data integrity and security, and artificial intelligence. The application window will close on June 23rd. Now what's your digit? My digit this week is five, because that's how many medical marijuana dispensary licenses one person or business entity can have. An investigation by the Columbia Missourian and the Missouri Independent has revealed that some companies may have many more. As the medical marijuana industry in the state grows, the enforcement of limits on licenses will have significant impacts on entrepreneurs in the industry. Any unfair consolidation of licenses means other entrepreneurial hopefuls missed out. That just about concludes our episode. We just need our closing thought. Here's Tim Preer, founder of Wicket and board member of PayBaby, talking about why he wanted to be a part of the PayBaby team after selling his company to them. I love the team that was built over the, you know, over the, over the two years and wanted to uh, be alongside them as we continue to march, march up that mountain. That's all for this week's episode. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode, this episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Casey Murray and me, Jack Hanstein. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next time.